I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology, and on this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Simon Rawlings, Creative Director of David Collins Studio, who's joining us from his home in London. I'm just been trying to remember the last time I actually saw you in real life and I don't know if it was here or in Shanghai or I don't know it's been too long I think it must have been in Shanghai Mm. I I think it was Shanghai must have been yes that's what I'm thinking Um, yeah and and I think it was just with the um, yeah it was Shanghai Design Week I think was Mm. I speaking I can't remember I think I was yes that's right Mm. Gosh, that was yeah. So that was the last time, and of course, you know, there hasn't been much travel recently. No. I think I've had a, a second child since I last saw you. Congratulations! Um, so I did hear about that. Thank you. That's wonderful yeah, news. You must be quite now. happy to be not traveling in that case. Well, I am, but you know what's been really fascinating? I took um, I took an extended paternity leave uh, of uh, three months. And, you know, what with now lockdown and working from home, I'm pretty much going to spend the whole of his first year of his life with him, which is kind of, I guess, unheard of. I mm. mean, unbelievable. Yeah. So it's been a really, I mean, that's that's something positive, I guess, to come out of all of this. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying very hard to find the positives. <laughs> yes. I think that's important. I've been trying to as well. And there's a couple, yeah. but some days it's a struggle. <laughs> some days it's, it's easier. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, we have been blessed with some of the most gorgeous weather oh, I've since heard. we've been in lockdown, which is completely unheard of here. So oh. we're very lucky that, you know, we've been able to use, you know, we've got a garden and a local park. So we've kind of all those kind of things, which is otherwise I think it would have been miserable. Yeah, absolutely. And how are you keeping? Um, yeah, I'm OK. Yeah. Um, you know, Hong Kong has sort of had its ups and downs. I think that's probably an entirely different story. So maybe we'll save that conversation for another time but yeah um, I, I did want to sort of dig in a, a bit more into you know what what you've been doing while you've been in downtime you obviously talked about the paternity leave but you know what's been on yeah. your mind have you had um, a little bit more time to be thinking about things whether it's creative or strategic or you know just about life and philosophy yeah, in it's general been, it's been really interesting I mean you know I think with with any sort of, you know, industry or business, you've got to kind of, you know, in these situations, you know, think on your feet. And I think what what, what I've been trying to do is is really find new ways of, of trying to find inspiration because, you know, my role predominantly is is the creative side of the business. So it's it's coming up with ideas all of the time and and you know, the thing that would feed me with ideas is being out and about and traveling and meeting people and seeing things and all of the kind of the usual, you know, things that sort of feed the fire kind of thing. Mm. And sitting in a kind of top floor bedroom surrounded by one's junk kind of, you know, (laughs) doesn't really give you the same level of of inspiration. (laughs) So I've been trying to find new ways of inspiring myself. I think 
One of the things that I set out to do at the beginning of this lockdown period, and, and, and I forget, you know, how many weeks it's been now, but is, is I committed to, to speaking to sort of every single member of the design team every single day, you know, as much as I could within reason, just to kind of stay connected. And I just called them the kind of the, you know, the, the, the kitchen chats, like you would as you, you rock up to the office yeah. and you kind of, you know, have a chat first thing in the morning. And I, and I said to the guys, you know, I said, I just think it's, it's good for all of us. Just, you know, even if we've got nothing to talk about, mm. it's that kind of good morning, how are you doing? And, and, you know, in. I found that hugely beneficial for me um, just to kind of, I guess, kickstart the day and kickstart the sort of the process and give, and give the sort of the start of the day something meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a really wonderful thing. And I mean, we've stuck to it and we, we kind of, we very quickly implemented a lot of very new um, processes into the studio um, using sort of technology, Microsoft Teams as well, and, and different sort of chat channels, whether it's sort of create inspiration, whether it's things to watch on TV. I was doing a oh. weekly playlist that people were collaborating into and we'd give each playlist a different theme every week. And then um, we'd have a, a, an online learning and another group started a reading club. And so we quite quickly set up all of these multi-channels that that really sort of gave different sort of yeah vehicles for for finding inspiration and thought and ideas because as I say you know when you're in the four walls you kind of your your mind does start to feel a little bit trapped absolutely so that that yeah those things I found really interesting and and beneficial and you know um I'm not a reader so I wouldn't say that I I'd sort of you know, delved into reading books all of a sudden. But what I did do was, you know, started to watch sort of online um, performances of dance and go on virtual tours of galleries and museums and historic buildings and things you wouldn't normally do. And I... And I tried to carve out a period of my day, every single day, just to kind of explore something I wouldn't normally explore whether that was, I mean and it was so varied I mean one day I might spend half an hour online shopping but <laughs> the next day I might you That's know still look at recipes or but exactly so so each and everything that you know I, I would kind of I found that giving a very strict sort of schedule to myself really sort of helped because my day generally you know my, my usual day my normal day it was so varied and, and very sort of reactive um, mm. to situations, to calls, to clients, to issues, to to creative questions, to, you know, things being thrown into the mix. I found not having that, I was just kind of being very um, unproductive and feeling very dissatisfied with what was sort of coming out at the end of each day and of course what with juggling that my wife juggling her business juggling two Mm. young children and and (laughs) it's been really interesting and and i have to say and and if i give myself a pat on the back i'm very i'm not somebody who sits still i'm not somebody who's very good at staying at home i'm not one who's very you know if i i will literally drink 10 coffees a day just because i like to walk to the coffee shop and see what's going on <laughs> and not having even been able to do that you know i've i've really sort of retrained myself to to enjoy my own space which has been i guess one of the the small achievements you know mm. during all of this 
It's quite craziness. a challenge, definitely. Yeah, but you know, inspiration—it's—it's it's so hard, and and you know, and I think you know, being in an ideas business and you know, thriving off sort of brainstorming and chatting with people and you know, looking people in the eye, and you just you just don't get that from you know all of these you know online things, do you? These chats and yeah, Zoom that's so and true, Teams actually. And, yeah, that spark of inspiration, it, I just find it just that it just doesn't come so easily. And I think that's been the biggest challenge. But, you know, there's we've had some, you know, really interesting and fascinating new briefs given to us through, through this period, which, oh, wonderful. you know, and there's been a lot of creative output from the studio. Um, so we found other ways. We found other ways to do that and um, online collaboration and all of these interesting things and and slowly we've started sort of now coming together um you know um to, 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 with sort of key key players of the team to sort of you know have these sort of initial parts of the project where we can brainstorm face to face and come up with these ideas so yeah it's starting to fall into place a little bit but it, it, it's going to be fascinating to see where we are at the end of all of this and how our working lives have changed because inevitably they will change they're not mm. going to go back to the way they were and i think maybe even for the better i you know i don't know we'll see yeah i think i think you're very right although you yeah. know something that you've just said and we we had a we recorded an episode with tony chi last week i think it was and yeah. he said something similar he's actually uh isolated in taipei on his own at the moment away from his family right. and the team and i think one thing that he said resonates as well as what you have said that you know i think creative people really thrive on other creative people that creative energy sort of bouncing ideas around i think he said something about you know i want to bounce the ball and it just kind of hits the ball and comes back at me you know no one else yeah. is kind of grabbing that ball and so it Makes will be sense. interesting yeah. to see yeah. you know how how and if that can sort of transition into a new normal. Um, yeah. Only time and, will yeah, tell. We've been talking about ways in which, you know, we reintroduce studio life into, you know, where, you know, we're 60 people all working in different places. And there's certain parts of, you know, the design process or the project process that, that work, you know, brilliantly, you mm. know, remotely, you know, when you're in production, when you're working, you know, and we're so used to working with technology and working with projects abroad right. like, you know we have all of that in place anyway okay but it's just understanding you know at which point do we need to be together mm. um and does our office become something completely different does it become more of a club or a social club or a meeting place or or a place for just for interaction um and of course a materiality because that's such a big part of what we do is is having materials to hand so i mean you know in 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 the in the short term then I think that we're going to use our studio as, as a kind of a, a bookable resource, I think, you know, something that, you know, people can come together and, you know, we have to, you know, we can't have everybody there at the same time, but, you know, um, and, and use it as a kind of a, you know, a place where people can go and be social and, and be inspired by each other and delve through libraries and materials and, and, and use it as, as, a, as a kind of a, a creative hub. Mm, I love that idea. Yeah, um, it's, it's... Well, as, as easy as it would be to talk about this damn virus <laughs> all day, <laughs> I, I, I would love to not talk about that. I'm sure you would like sure. to change the subject. I actually kind yeah. of wanted to 
wind the clock back a bit uh, to, I guess, almost your childhood and at the beginning of your career. I, I read or heard that your – was your dad a builder? I, I heard that he had helped build pubs. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He was a – yeah, he was a general contractor and um, – you know, painter and decorator by trade, and that grew into becoming, you know, a contractor. and And he would build pubs, mostly in our, you know, in our area of South Wales. And he predominantly worked with one of the breweries. and And he was kind of doing this through the um, through the eighties when sort of themed pubs were kind of all the rage. And I remember there was some amazing. There was there was one pub in in Swansea, which was a city near where we grew up. Um, which was kind of American themed and it had a miniature Statue of Liberty and you know the, the kind of the bathrooms were wallpapered using kind of superhero comics and and I was just kind of fascinated by this world he was in and I think you know the ultimate moment for me was when he was um, involved in building um, uh, a cheese factory and, and I mean this is oh, amazing wow. like back in the day it was a cheese factory joined to a pub and it was in a in a town called Caffili, which was famous for Caffili cheese. Um, and it's still, a, you know, they'd stopped making cheese there for a very long time. And um, this this pub owner wanted to build a cheese factory joined onto his pub. So the idea was that you would have amazing fresh cheese and a pint of local beer. And I mean, this is kind of, you know, if we're, t- we're talking about the 80s here, I mean, quite mm. a, a forward thinking um, publican. Um, and that, and that really sort of, I just thought the whole thing was fascinating to have this kind of this idea of cheese and beer and all together. And I was just a kid, you know, going to these kind of opening events and seeing these mood boards and that people were flying around, but yeah, it was, it was, and I I think that almost planted the seed for the, the design side of things because I was just fascinated by ideas. Um, I was always an ideas person, you know, and I thought that, you know, that for me was, was something that I found really incredibly interesting and yeah you know going through um going through school you know st- studying art and you know i always remember my 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 art teacher telling my parents i think at 16 at gcse level you know he can't draw you know <laughs> you know he shouldn't follow anything creative you know because he can't draw and and i just you know and and i i always remember that and and you know my parents were then sort of, you know, I mean, they were very supportive, but I think they always had this in the back of their mind, you know, is this, is this really a career? And, and then that almost, you know, kind of drove me harder in the sense that I was more determined than I knew at that point, interior design was all I wanted to do to the point where I would skip all the sports classes, you know, during A-levels. And I would just go to the art room and push and push and push Mm. to the point where I just at at 18 went, applied directly against everyone's advice, directly to universities, skipped the foundation year that that they advised that, you know, you have to have to go to a university place. I just thought I I cannot do another year of of messing around when I know exactly what I want to do. So Mm. I didn't get in the number one choice of university but I was very happy that I I got placed in in Birmingham which which for me was you know I wanted to be in one of the UK sec I didn't want to go to London I knew I'd spend my life in London so Mm. I didn't want to study there okay and coming from a very small town I I needed a kind of a stepping stone I needed a small city first (laughs) I couldn't (laughs) handle going straight to the big smoke (laughs) that's fair enough um I was very happy and and it was a brilliant it was a boss um you know met some great people 
Um, the tutors there were just really, really inspiring and interesting. And, um, you know, and, and that led to, to being invited to stay on to do a master's and mm. um, which was the first year of, of the master's course, which, which was really um, important, I think, for, for actually getting a job afterwards. It was the first time that we started to use computers on the course. So okay. uh, the master's course, we started to use AutoCAD for the first time, even though it was happening in the industry, the universities hadn't really caught up. Mm. Um, and, and for me, that was more about, you know, learning the sort of the practical side of the business, whereas you know, the, the previous, you know, bachelor's was kind of more sort of, you know, experimentation and idea generation. But during the master's, it was a real practical, um, you know, introduction to the business. And yeah, I mean, it was from there, um, I just knocked on a couple of doors. I went back to Wales for a few days and I, I literally targeted the companies that I, I um, were inspired by. And David Collins Studio was one of three. Right. Um, and did you deliberately pursue, you know, a, a career in hospitality design or did that just kind of happen serendipitously, do you think? Well, all, all of my studies were based around retail design. Ah. So my, my, my I, I'd, I'd sort of um, worked on a, done a few sort of work placements um, where I sort of designed restaurants in London during my master's. Uh, but it, it hadn't interested me as much as retail design. And I think, you know, it was retail that really sort of caught my attention. Um, but falling straight into the world of hospitality and restaurant design, it just felt very natural. And, I, and I, what I enjoyed about it was the idea that, you know, you were kind of creating spaces that people were having fun in and people were kind of, you were almost sort of curating an atmosphere that people would enjoy. And, and I loved that side of things. And, and that for me was, was really, um, was really important. And, you know, David, literally, um, I wrote, I think, gosh, I think I faxed the office at that time. <laughs> um, and <laughs> showing our age. And literally, yeah, literally, the phone rang straight away. And David Collins was on the other end of the phone. And, and I was like, and he said, come to London tomorrow. And I don't know what I had done or what I'd written down or what it was that that caught his attention. But he literally invited me the next day we met and and I and, heard that the interview knew, with him you know, lasted for a whole day. Is that right? Well, it, it was a funny interview. So I bet it we, was. You know, I'd love up in to the hear. Morning, you know. So, you know, I was, you know, travelled on the train with my, you know, in the, those days with the A1 portfolio, you know, with your giant pieces of work under your arm. And mm. it was, you know, I'd sit down and he, you know, he wasn't really, he was interested, but didn't need, really want to see any of my work. He was kind of, he was... He, he could tell from personality and, and we, we kind of hit it off straight away and we would chat and talk about things we'd seen and buzz off each other sort of. And he said, well, you know, I, you know, I really, there's a formality I need to do. I need to ask you to, um, to sit down and, and do, you know, see if you can, you know, what you can do. Maybe you could draw something on AutoCAD. And luckily I'd, I'd just done this kind of, you know, years master's. So I had this AutoCAD training and um, just at that point, my watch started buzzing 
I think this is what did it. I think this is what did it. <laughs> My watch started buzzing and I was, still am, obsessed with Swatch watches. Okay? And, and, <laughs> and I had a collection and, and it was the period where the pager Swatch was very cool. And I looked and he said, what's that? And he was, you know, so into technology. Um and I said, oh, it's just pager. And it was my mother just saying, you know, have you finished yet? You know, how is it? How's the interview going kind of thing? And he was obsessed with that watch. Um, so I sat at a desk and it was about quarter to one, I remember. And then everybody went for lunch. And I was in this office all by myself thinking, goodness, what do I do? I mean, what do I say? There's nobody here. And it was very, very strange. And that went on. And then about three o'clock came. Of course, everyone came back from lunch and and um, we had another chat. And then he said, well, I'd like you to go and look around some of these stores. You know, so he sent me to Bond Street and sent me to the and then come back and tell me what you think. Ooh. And I was like, goodness, on going on. And I went back and then he offered me a job. And a week later, I, I started. Yeah, Good Lord, so what a great was, story. Was, yeah, it's a full day, pretty much. I would love to hear what your first impressions of, of David were and, you know, any sort of lasting um, thoughts of him as a person or his personality that, that sort of stemmed from that first meeting. He was... David was like nobody I'd ever met before. I mean, it was, it was he was the sort of the ultimate creative. I mean, it immaculately turned out his desk had you know it was it was the desk that everybody wanted it had the most beautiful pen and the fur everything the flowers are always perfect the everything about it was just you know inspiring and and aspirational and desirable and and he just had this kind of this ability to bring out the best in people i think and and what david was was really good at was was kind of encouraging people to be creative although he was he was incredibly creative himself and he would you know his ability and his knowledge was was just unbelievably accurate and detailed when it came to things historic or cultural or you know um you know amazing um, sort of techniques of craftsmanship and he knew all of this kind of stuff and and he would just he would teach whilst he was kind of you know encouraging and and that was the the wonderful thing about him he was very specific and very precise and I think we ended up starting to almost be able to mind read each other and see one step ahead but but we, we complemented each other in a way and I think that's why it ended up working so well I mean what I what what he was brilliant at was 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 kind of editing he was very honest and open with his opinions he would kind of throw something crazy into the mix and you know that would that would completely transform a project from being an average project into something spectacular and memorable and iconic and that ability that he had is is i think the spark that i always try to to to, to try and you know understand how he did that um you know the blue bar for example which was one of the concepts i i would work on you know right at the very beginning 
um, was green for a very long through through the design process. It oh. was it was green. I oh, mean, the, the whole interior was green for a long time. And and you know, David being David, just said one day, I wanted to be blue. Well, that was and, his and color, the whole wasn't thing it? Shifted. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I think sometimes he, I, I think prior to that, I mean, he he he, he always kind of forced that color in a way because uh. he didn't want to be known for a color and I think you know and I think that was the point at which you know we embraced the blue as a kind of a signature thing mm. but actually if you look back to our archive of projects there were very few blue projects it was just the kind of our, our branding the persona it was our kind of go-to sort of thing this sort of lovely it was it started at lavender and kind of drifted into softer mm. sort of blues and but yeah, he had this this amazing ability to to throw something incredible into the mix that would completely transform, as I said, something average into something spectacular, and and that's where I think you know the appeal came because there was this this eccentricism and this whimsy that would come through, you know. Um, if you look at things like, you know, the Mirabelle restaurant where we would put ginormous mirror balls in restaurants and gorgeous illustrations by Pierre Latin and, you know, things that you would never see in a restaurant that, that were just, you know, we put the first ever leather floor um, in a dining room, in a private dining room in a restaurant and, and you know, people were like, a leather floor? Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's all of these kind of things that that, you know he would he would sort of stand up for the vision and you had to respect that because you know you would have people saying well how do I clean it and da, 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 da. you know <laughs> but he would be like you know this is what I want we'll make it work and this is how it's going to be so you know and people you know would respect that and you know respect that vision and you know it came a point where we were reinventing you know some of the most historic of dining rooms in in London you know and really sort of bringing this idea of, of great dining to London, which London had never seen. So, mm. you know, working with the likes of Marco Pierre White, and all these amazing chefs, um, you, know, you know, of that era, Pierre Kaufman, and, and kind of taking materiality and finishes and, you know, f from, from sort of, you know, historic techniques and from you know, residential design and bringing them to the forefront of this sort of hospitality was, was something that, you know, was, was sort of unheard of. And I think, you know, back in the day when we were starting out, it was kind of your little black book was kind of, you know, the secret to your success. Because, you know, mm. if you knew somebody who could kind of gild, do verregle mise, do plaster work, you know, do sort of crack gesso paneling. I mean, you know, those were the things that sort of carried us forward because we didn't have, you know, the 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 the, the sort of the the ability to just, you know, type something into a computer and mm. find fifty people who do the same thing now. But so so that little black book was, you know, and he had these sort of relationships and these contacts and these, you know, that that could of these people who could create things so of course every little thing that we were putting into a restaurant was it was almost you know an art piece of creation in its own right and you know the blood sweat and tears that went into every single detail i think you know is what really stood out 
at the time. Yeah. So I'd love to wind back a bit. You used the word iconic, which I think is very appropriate mm. for much of the work that, you know, the studio has produced. The Blue Bar is a great example of that. I would love to hear what you think yeah. makes an interior or a room or a space iconic and then also maybe what makes a space timeless. Are they the same thing? Are they different? It's interesting because, you know, we're in the we're in the moment now where people are saying, what's what's the Instagram moment? What do I take a photo of? What do I you know? And, and I've endlessly fought against that. I'm obsessed with Instagram. I love the bits. <laughs> but I keep telling people we are designing interiors. We're not designing a photograph. Mm. Um, and I believe that 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 something iconic comes from one very, very strong idea one strong idea that really encapsulates that interior. And I think that for me, it's really key that, you know, whenever we're, we're starting any kind of design, we understand what that big idea is. Once you have that big idea, it's very easy to create something iconic. I think for me, um, iconic doesn't have to be about um, something that's that's necessarily completely unique or completely different or completely showy but something iconic can come from a very holistic interior so if the whole space is is thought through in a lot of detail if it's thought through in a way that you know it's three-dimensional if it's thought through in a way that you know everybody has got the the vision then I think the, the, then the iconicness comes from that. You know, is it a strong colour? Is it a strong detail? Is it a strong, um, you know, brushstroke of a, of a thought? And then I think, you know, through that comes timelessness. And I think, you know, for me to create something that's timeless is certainly not about making a pastiche I think you know we try and avoid that in every way and you know we always get told you know you, you're great at art deco or you're great at this but actually we never really look at an era and create something from that period what I think we do is we we take things from multiple periods we take inspiration from from everywhere I think importantly for me we start with the building that the project is in. We make the interior feel ultimately connected to the building it's in because that is the most important thing. That makes something last forever because it feels like they both grew at the same time. We then take inspiration from different eras, different periods. We mix them together. We take things that are, you know, very now, very, very then, almost from the future. We, we, we put them together in a very smart and clever way. And at the same time, we, we almost try and ignore what's trendy at the moment. And I think, you know, through mixed up in the pot with, with um, very sort of high quality and high quality doesn't have to be the most expensive. It just has to be something that's done very well and fit for the purpose that it's, it's going to serve. Um, and I think through the, that comes timelessness. And too often people will say, you know, time, it, does timeless mean old fashioned? Does it mean, I just, I just think that, you know, especially now, you know, people don't want anything disposable. People want, you know, interiors that are going to last, 
you know, a long time and, and creating something that's timeless is a really good investment as well, because, you know, you, you're going to buy it once and you're going to do it properly. You're going to invest in good design, in good materiality, in good construction. And, you know, you'll have something that'll be around forever. So mm. being iconic and timeless work very well together, but I do think they're two very different things. Yeah. Mm. So as creative director of David Colt Studio, I think it's fairly yes. fair to say that you've got maybe one of the best jobs in the world. Um, so this may sound oh, like a rather you. silly question, but I'd love to know what it is that you love about your job. Oh my goodness. I love, oh gosh, I love everything about it. So I'm at the point, I would say now where I can confidently be creative and I think you you know you go through these these points in your career where you're you know lacking in confidence of ideas or always looking you know I would always look to David for reassurance of what I was doing and he would look to me and you know now I think you know it's having that confidence and I what I love about the job is first of all the people that you you know I get to meet and and that's you know the colleagues um, that's the, you know, the other designers I work with. It's other people in the industry, the clients. I mean, we get such incredible briefs and, you know, just when you think you've done everything, something else lands on the doorstep and, and it's bigger, better, more impressive, more interesting, more unique, more special. Um, and, and I think for me, just having that ability to, to do something I love is is you know it's it's still like a hobby it doesn't feel like a job to me it just it just feels yeah i don't feel like i go to work every day i jump on an airplane i go to an amazing location i have you know i'm surrounded by you know really inspiring people and you know we get to create beautiful things and you know i i, I mean gosh i couldn't want for a better i couldn't want for a better career and i i wouldn't want to do it anywhere else that's a great answer. Um, so before we finish up, I've got a couple of quick questions that are, I guess, hospitality, but also travel related. And, and obviously in the context of the fact that we're not traveling at the moment, but maybe what you're looking forward to when we can. Uh, so do you have any favorite hotels around the world, um, either that you have w designed or worked on or others that you haven't been involved with? You know, I'm very um, attached to Bangkok. It's one of my favorite cities mm. and I just love going there. And, and one of my all time favorite hotels, and I drive people mad by saying this, and they're like, really? I just love the Sukhothai Hotel more than anything. And I, I, I can't explain why I love it so much, but the experience of just being in the middle of the city, but the minute you reach that front gate, you are completely, you, 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 you're somewhere else. You, you, you just, you know, it, it changed. It has, it has the ability to do what I always strive to do in a project is completely change my mood. Mm. And the minute I step through that gate, I'm, I'm, I'm in another place. And I just think that, you know, I mean, it was designed forever ago. And, you know, and I, I just, you know, and that to me is, just sums up exactly you know incredible timelessness incredible mm. high quality everything that i try and achieve in my projects i think you know would would, would i do that at sukatai you know would mm. <laughs> but i just love i love you know going there and, and it's mostly business so you know and uh, you know i've got such fond memories of, of doing business in bangkok and the people i met and 
um, you know, some of my fondest work memories are really, you know, from that city. And I think, you know, that's somewhere that I, I just really would love to get back to as quickly as possible. Traveling as a family, you know, it's, it's difficult to stay in, in hotels. Um, you know, you've, it's so much easier to stay in apartments mm. with lots of young kids. Um, but, um, but, you know, the, the, the very successful places I've stayed with my kids, you know, and, and, and I love, love New York is such a great city to, to entertain children. I love taking my kids to New York and, um, you know, we, we stayed at the, the Nomad Hotel quite a lot with them because it's, it's just, it's a great location. They treat the kids so well, they can, you know, they feed them well. And, and we've just had really great time there with, um, with my kids. So I'd, I'd love to get them back to New York and, uh, you know, both, both the cities, I mean, you know, I'm not really craving, um, countryside. I'm, I'm craving places that I can be inspired again. I think, you know, not, not relaxation places, surprisingly mm. enough. That's understandable. Do you have any pet yeah. peeves in a hotel room, whether it be uh, hardware or software, things that you're, you know, changing or personalising um, or messing around with the minute you walk in the door? Oh, my goodness. Too many to even start. <laughs> Come on, I please. Mean... <laughs> <laughs> Indulge us. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, you know, the, the last two hotels I stayed in before, um, before, on my last trip before we went into lockdown, were so brilliantly designed. Um, they were, um, it was the St. Regis in Hong Kong, mm. and it was the, the Rosewood in Hong Kong, both I couldn't I couldn't have done anything better myself. Everything was just so brilliantly done in both of those properties in regards to the guest rooms. I just thought it was just you know amazing. I love a good old fashioned light switch. So, you know, <laughs> I can't stand anything, you know, like I don't I just don't like technology being forced upon me. Um, you know, and quite often, you know, you're in a room for maybe, you know, an hour before you sleep, an hour in the morning, you just want everything to be intuitive. Um, I don't understand why more hotel rooms don't have, um, you know, filtered tap water or water, you know, mm. dispensers, you know, zip taps with sparkling water, those things where you can oh, just sort of yes. fill up as much as you want. Because the first thing I want is sparkling water when I get yes. into a hotel room. I don't know why, but something about traveling, I just want to, um, mm. I just want to uh, have spark. I, I know it's a costly thing to put these systems in, but, you know, I just think of the environment and what we'd, you know, what we'd save and all that kind of thing. And, and as a guest, I would love, love to have a sparkling water tap in my in yeah my I'm definitely room. with you on that <laughs> um, yeah and I've, just, I've never seen one I've never ever seen one so I mean I've proposed it on many occasions um oh. not that it's it's happened yet um but uh yeah I would love to see that happening um one day yeah. um and you know I just don't appreciate um, hotel rooms that have too much furniture in them mm. um, that, that you can't really use. And the first thing I do is I always remove anything superfluous off the bed. I like my bed to be <laughs> without decoration. <laughs> yeah, I think you're definitely not alone there. Um, so yeah. what do you have any tips for jet lag? How were you dealing with that when you were? Because I know that you were traveling um, you know, fairly regularly yeah. before all of this. Yeah, lots of lots of sparkling water. No, I, I, you know, I don't think the my trips were always very um, short. So I would find that I would never really adjust 
um, never really adjust to the time zones I was in. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I keep my, my, my itineraries a little bit flexible. So I just sleep when I need to um, and meet when I need to and, and give myself a little bit of flexibility within my, my itineraries just to make sure that I can, you know, adjust as I need to. But, but you know, the, 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 the age old sort of advice of, of um, you know, trying to adapt to the time zone that you're in is, is you know, I think the best, the best solution really. Um, and swimming, swimming is great. I think you know mm. if you can get to you know somewhere where you can swim. I always feel like that sort of completely, um, you know, completely sort of washes away those sort of jet lag cobwebs. Mm. Um, but you know, when I come home, when I come home, there's there's no, you know, I've got no opportunity to be jet lagged, you know, because you're <laughs> up with the kids and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> hopefully, you've got sparkling water though. <laughs> yeah, I've got a soda stream, so I'm I'm in, I'm in love with my soda stream. Oh, yeah, I so. need to get one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. So the last question is, uh, what, where is at the top of your bucket list? So when, when we are all able to travel again safely and responsibly, uh, either you on your own or you and your wife or you and the whole family, wh where, were you, where would you love to go to first? I would love to go, to, I mean, somewhere very, I would love, I've never, I've been to Puglia, but I've never been to Puglia with my family. And I'd love to have a family holiday in Puglia. I'd love to stay in one of those gorgeous, um, you know, truly those little sort of, you know, domed houses with my family and, you know, and just, just gorge on beautiful pasta and fresh produce and olive oil and amazing wine and just kind of just hang out there. I mean, that would be somewhere I'd love to go. We also have family in Canada and family in uh, Barbados and, and we try and go to those places every year. And, and those are the things that I've really missed this year is, is you know, um, life by the lake in Canada, which for me is just heaven on earth. Mm. You know, the family around, I think last summer there was 19 of us all just kind of sleeping all over this tiny little house um you know bodies everywhere family in a room kind of thing but you know that's just the way you do it that that's that's the holidays and and you know and diving into that icy cold lake on a sunny morning and those are the things that i really miss you know and uh, i can't wait to get back to back to that sort of that routine and i think as a family and and you know as a child i always had these these sort of repetitive holidays and I think you build on memories and it solidifies memories so I almost want my my children to have that same sort of repetition of, of places and family around them and I think that's that's really important um, and that's something I'm going to really sort of rush back to as quickly as we can. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Well thank you so yeah. much Simon it's just it's been a pleasure chatting again. Um, pleasure. It's been far too long in between but oh, um, thank you for having me. Yeah of course and please send yes. my regards to everyone in the studio and hopefully I'll yeah I'll be in London again sometime in the future hopefully. Well and you know Hong Kong is first on my list as soon as we're traveling again you know oh. we've got so much going on there I need to uh, I need to come over and and you know see some projects that are kind of you know coming to fruition so uh, maybe I'll see you before you see me